We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to talk more about diversity, equity, and inclusion, like I've done on several shows before, but I want to talk about the issue of there is no I in team, and how DEI reverses that equation and focuses on I rather than we. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Well, you know, I, I've written a couple articles over the last couple of weeks, and I've done two or three shows on this issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, the articles I've written for the Washington Times have gotten quite a bit of attention. So this has caused me to go back to this message time and time again over the last several days because it seems to be of great interest to the culture right now, to the to, to the people that we're engaging with in the public square, whether it be in our church or whether it be in our family, in our, in our businesses, or just, um, just going about daily life. This issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion seems to be front and center in a lot of what we're talking about right now. And I'm not surprised because of the basic premise, principle, the basic fact of ideas having consequences. Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion are the seminal ideas that are being taught to our progeny right now in our public schools, whether it be junior high or high school, or in some cases even earlier than that in the elementary grades. This whole issue is driving a lot of the curriculum. And I'm going to tell you again today why I have issues with this, but I'm going to use a quote from Vince Lombardi to set the context for this particular show. This, this uh, quote from the great iconic coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, is this. Individual commitment to a group effort, that is what makes a team work, a company work, or a society work, or an entire civilization work. That's Vince Lombardi. Individual commitment to a group, that's what makes a team work, a company work, a society work, and a civilization work. A paraphrase of that is, there is no I in team. You don't spell the word team with an I. It's T-E-A-M. There's no I in there. It's all about the team, the teamwork that helps you gain victory, whether it be in your family life or whether it be in your corporate life or whether it be society at large or the entire civilization. You're not going to win any games if you're focusing on yourself. And my primary issue with diversity, equity, and inclusion, my primary issue with critical theory, my primary concern when it comes to all things SEL, social-emotional learning, LGBTQIA, CRT, BLM, the alphabet soup lunacy of our day, it's all essentially the same thing. It's a focus on self rather than others. It's blaming everybody else. The only time you focus on them is to cast blame. It's a worldview that's fixated on me 
and mine rather than you and yours, it's childish. It's adolescent. It's a perpetual temper tantrum. That's my issue. That's my primary concern. That's why I talk about, in a critical way, critical race theory and BLM and LGBTQIA and social justice warriors. All of this stuff is driven by the same ideology. It's all about self. It's all radical narcissism. It's the opposite of Vince Lombardi's admonition. It's the opposite of the age-old axiom of there is no in team. So let's take a break, and when I get back, we'll dig into this particular issue a little bit deeper. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, so welcome back to the rebellion. All right. In my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, I cover this issue. I have a chapter in there, chapter 19, and it's titled, There Is No I in Team. And I start out with that quote from Vince Lombardi. Again, I'm going to give it to you. Individual commitment to a group effort, that is what makes a team work. Individual commitment, your commitment, yes, your hard work, your dedication, yes, you must be concerned about your own performance, but it isn't about you in the end. It's about what? The group Effort. That's what makes a team work, a company work, a society work, and a civilization work. Vince Lombardi, iconic, famous coach of the Green Bay Packers. So this is the antithesis. This statement is the opposite of where our culture is going right now. You know, we, we've got this desire for celebrity status, and it's pervasive. It's everywhere in our culture. Everywhere you look, it's the perpetual selfie the social media, the Facebook, the TikTok, the Instagram, the Twitter, we're all interested in our own little celebrity status. And we're all guilty of it, I suppose, to some extent. But it's not healthy. It's not good. The age-old axiom, there is no I in team, has been traded in for, hey, hey, it's all about me. Look at me. Look at my selfie. Look at my accomplishments. Look how many likes I got on that post. In on Twitter, or or MeWe, or, or 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 Gab, or Gitter, or Truth Social, or Facebook—it doesn't matter. It's all a fixation on self. We're we're becoming more and more insular, and we live in our own bubbles. This mentality, I would argue, has produced terrible consequences for our society. 
Rather than being members of a band of brothers, we've become kind of warriors in solitude. It's all about fighting for your attention and your rights and your identity, your subjective claims. This identity politics, it's radical balkanization at its worst. So if you don't believe that there's a concerted effort to divide our nation through this particular worldview, then I've got oceanfront property in Nebraska that I want to sell you today. This is obvious. It's as clear as the nose on your face. The people responsible for this agenda push their message on cable news, newspapers, social media, colleges, universities, you name it, politics, it doesn't matter. The elites, the people pushing this, think that if they can get people to focus on themselves and on their grievances and on their victimhood, in other words, that is your primary ultimate good, yourself, your victimhood, your grievances are the things that you care about most. If they can get you to focus on those things, they know that they will divide you, you won't be unified, and that the fabric of our nation will be taken apart strand by strand. I, I believe that there are people in power that recognize that. If you divide, you can conquer, and that's their goal. And that's the point of grievances and victimhood and this identity politics. It's divisive, and they know it. It's not unity. It's division. But in the Old Testament, King Solomon told us this, A cord of three strands is not quickly broken, but a cord of one is defenseless. Okay? So if you've got a rope and it's got three strands, try to break that rope. But if you've just got one twine, one thread, it's a lot easier, right? So there's strength in unity. That's why we are the United States and not the divided states. You get my point here? That's why I was the president of a university, not the president of a diversity. That's why I draw that distinction. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Unity. But a cord of one is defenseless. In other words, divide and conquer. And this strategy is working. Just look at the divisive rhetoric of contemporary politics or the transparent us-against-them agendas that we see through intersectionality and critical race theory and all these rampant protests that we see on college campuses from coast to coast. Adults are acting like children. It's not just on the college campus. I've told you that they graduated from Berkeley and Brown, and now they work at Brooks Brothers or any place else. They're now fact-checkers for Facebook and Twitter and all of social media. These people that were crying and complaining on the campus green yesterday are now telling you what you can post and not post in social media and where you can go to a restaurant or not during a pandemic. That's what's happened. We have enabled a culture to continue to be juvenile. And we're acting like spoiled children. You just hear it all the time. That's mine. You hurt my feelings. Uh, they're, they're unashamed of throwing these juvenile temper tantrums, excuse me, temper tantrums, until someone gives in and strokes their little egos. They apparently do not even care that they are obviously being played like a banjo by those plucking the strings in Washington, D.C., Hollywood, and faculty lounges throughout our nation. That's the state of our culture right now. And we see calls for segregation rather than integration. Those seeking to control us are shamelessly working to divide us by race and 
and gender and sexual orientation and voting tendencies, economic status, nationality, height, weight, educational level, religion, age, you name it. Whatever else can balkanize us into competing groups and irreconcilable demands is fair game. And again, I don't believe that this is just coincidence. I believe people understand that that's the way they hold on to power. Now, I want to remind you of something that took place in 1975. It was an interview with Ronald Reagan, and it was done with Mike Wallace of uh, CBS fame. Okay? Here's what Reagan said in that interview, and you've heard it before, but it it is the quintessential quote about freedom in America. Reagan said, if fascism ever comes to America, it will come in the name of liberalism. Okay? So this foresight of the great communicator, Ronald Reagan, has been proven over and over again since then to be very prescient. The ideological fascism that we now see in America has come to us at the hands of progressives waving flags of safe spaces, microaggressions, trigger warnings, victimization, and vengeance. Okay? That's ideological fascism, and it's sweeping across the land right now. It's under these flags, okay, that you see children, and I'm putting that in quotation marks right now, from the ages of 18 to 80 throwing temper tantrums in our public square and demanding that we give them every plastic toy and piece of candy that they want, or we're going to suffer the consequences of their wrath. You, you see it. If fascism ever comes to America, it will come in the name of liberalism. So the liberals have embraced progressive ideology, which is CRT, SEL, diversity, equity, and inclusion. All of these are neo-Marxist ideas that seek to divide through conflict. It's the racial conflict. It's the economic conflict. It is the intersectionality, it's the trigger warnings, microaggressions, it's all of this assumption that it's me against you. You've got some of mine, so I want it. Again, it's selfish. It's the focus on the I that doesn't exist within the word team. So when your God is diversity, unity will not be tolerated. If our priority is diversity, which I would argue isn't necessarily bad, but it's a second thing, like I've talked about on previous shows on first and second things. If our priority, if our first thing is diversity, we've got things backwards because diversity is a second thing. So if our priority is diversity, we will never realize the first thing of unity. Why? Well, because diversity is self-centered. At its core, it divides. It's grounded in the premise of me against you and us against them. Diversity, by definition, I would argue, as it's defined today anyway, is childish. It's selfish. It says, give me mine. It's the antithesis of Christ's admonition to do what? Die to self. You're not to affirm yourself. You're supposed to die to yourself if you understand Christianity. Children are by nature individualistic and insular. Children don't care much about anything other than themselves, right? We know this if you're a parent. They want what they want, and other people and their needs may never even cross their minds. Adults, to the contrary, hopefully have matured enough to understand that life isn't just about them. 
Adults see the wisdom in promoting unity rather than division, integration rather than segregation, us rather than me and mine, a United States rather than a divided states. Adults ought to care more about a common cause and of personal righteousness than divisive demands and personal rights. Do you get the distinction I'm trying to make here? It's the difference between adults and children. And it should frighten the socks off of all of us to, to recognize as we watch the daily news that we have become a nation of kids, of perpetual children, perpetual adolescents, pouting teenagers. Back to this issue of adults. Adults see the value of hundreds of hands working together rather than one person's hand clapping in midair. You've heard that analogy. This is the sound of one hand clapping in midair. It's the sound of nothing. It gets nothing done. You've got to have two hands to make noise. And you've got to have hundreds of hands to actually get any work done. What would a symphony be if there was only one person playing a triangle, for example, and no other musicians playing any other instruments? So adults see the full orchestra. And, and, and that, that full orchestra is what makes the music. And that's what inspires us to consider... These things that are grander than ourselves. That's why music is inspirational. Adults understand that inspiration comes from outside, not inside. You don't inspire yourself. Something bigger and better and beyond you is always the source of your inspiration. If you don't get outside of yourself, you don't. You don't even understand what inspiration really is. This is kind of the uh, a little bit of a spin on C.S. Lewis's. spiritual autobiography, Surprised by Joy. He, he, he recognized there was something outside of himself that he yearned for all the time, and that was what he called joy, the ultimate goodness, the ultimate of God. This was the antithesis of focusing on self. It was the focus and the quest for joy. So when we reverse the order and we focus on the second things, we're going to get neither the first or the second. I've talked about that in previous shows. It is only by dying to self, again, back to the Christian message here, it's only by dying to self, that that is setting aside your childish individualism, that any of us, any human being, ever, 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 ever will find our true identity. So it's, you, you've got to be last if you want to be first. It's the, it's the paradox of taking up your cross daily and following Christ. That's only, it's only when you worship your Lord that you actually, actually ever find your true identity. Who we really are, again, our true identity, isn't found in our race or our gender. It isn't found in our personal grievances or our narcissistic infatuations. Biblically, we are neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. We're human beings, end of it, period. We're human beings. And selfless unity, rather than self-centered demands, has to be a first thing if you understand that concept. Again, that was biblical. We're told in the Bible that we are neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We're neither Scythian or barbarian. We're neither slave nor free. What's the point there? We're all human beings. We're the Imago Dei. We're all created in the image of God. We're born again. We're not born that way. We've died to self and we're risen again with Christ as our King and our Lord. 
If you are in Christ, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. This is all selflessness. It's not self-centered demands. The unity of the selfless is the first thing, and it brings with it the identity of what it truly means to be a human being and a creation of God, a new creation in Christ. So focusing on first things is what actually works. Evidence of this can be found in innumerable examples, from music that I've already cited to athletics. The same principle holds true. So we're getting back to Vince Lombardi. There is no I in team. You're not going to win a game if you're focused on yourself all the time. And if you've been an athlete, participated, let's say basketball, there's nothing more frustrating than a guy that just wants to get his points, the ball hog, that dribbles the ball down the floor, pays no attention to anybody on the rest of the team because all he cares about is racking up his points and his stats. That's a very frustrating experience. You know it and so do I. And you likely aren't going to win many games. Even if the guy is really, really good, if all he's doing is jacking the ball up every time he comes down the floor, then everybody else on the team is frustrated and that one person is likely not going to win many games. Okay? The team fragments. It starts arguing with itself. There, there's no unity. And that is not a recipe for success. In fact, it's the opposite. It brings failure. So you focus on music. That's a great analogy. You can focus on athletics, government, marriage, family dynamics. It's all the same thing. One seminal example here, however, is found in the Gospels and in the Acts of the Apostles. I want to share that with you before the end of the show. So here it is. In the earliest days of the church, growth was explosive. Why? Well, here's what Luke wrote in Acts. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who was in need. Now, some people on the left will use that. Well, there's communism. Okay, They sold all of their stuff, and they gave it to everybody else. There was communal living. Nobody had private property. That's not the point at all. That is not the point. So Christ was the focus of the first churches in Acts. That's the point. He was the focus, not communism, not government. Christ was the focus. The assembly that we're talking about here included men and women, apostles, and new converts. That was indeed a fact. All these people were from various socioeconomic backgrounds, nationalities, races, ethnic groups. There was clearly every potential for them to focus on their differences and what divided them rather than on what united them. They could have started talking about diversity and multiculturalism and uh, microaggressions and intersectionality. They could have started lecturing each other on critical race theory, but they didn't. They could have focused on how one group was privileged at the expense of another. But you don't hear any of that, do you? Nothing. It's not there. But why? Here's the question. Why? It's simple. It's very simple. The first church understood the first thing. The body of Christ was more important than individual believers. That was the first thing. Team was more important than the I. There was no I in team. Christ was more important than their individual complaints. Unity was more important than their diversity. They sold what they had and gave it to others, not not because they were socialists, but because they had a Savior. That's why they did it. They didn't give of their wealth because they thought everyone deserved their fair share. That's not the point at all. They gave all they had because they knew that no one, themselves included, deserved anything. Bottom line, they knew it wasn't about them. There was no I 
in team. So professors, politicians, pundits, and even preachers do all of us great harm by enabling anybody, young people in particular, to miss the first things by fixating on those that are second. John Richard Newhouse once warned that this ontological dyslexia, that's what I'm calling it, reversing things that are real, putting the fake in front of the real, and the real becomes secondary to the fake. This ontological dyslexia only brings what he called, this is Newhouse's quote, profound bigotry and anti-intellectualism and intolerance, illiberality of liberalism. Okay, that's what he said. It brings the profound bigotry and anti-intellectualism and intolerance and illiberality of liberalism. What's that? What's he saying? Well, basically it's this. Enabling this perpetual adolescence and its fixation on me and mine is essentially stunting the development and growth of our kids in our culture. We are force-feeding our progeny, and everybody else around us for that matter, with a steady diet of individualism rather than rather than higher ideas and higher ideals, such as sacrifice and unity. So we've got all this individualism and diversity, and when are we talking about sacrifice and unity? You don't hear much of that. In fact, they even disparage it now and say, well, that's just a product of white privilege. That We don't want to talk about that stuff any longer. And it just doubles down on dumb. It, it elevates diversity above unity. It balkanizes. It divides. And it focuses on, I want mine because you offended me. Or your parents offended me. Or your grandparents. Or your great-grandparents. So I deserve reparations for everything that happened 200 years ago. Talk about selfishness. Talk about a lack of forgiveness. This is not going to end well. So, bottom line, why are you surprised to see a generation of self-centered adults who are frozen in their childish claims of entitlement and demands for their fair share? We've set up those who are following us. The generation that's following us, if you're older, we've set them up for failure by encouraging them, by teaching them in our schools to believe that their safety is more important than their neighbor's soul. Uh, Seriously, their safety from a virus was more important than their neighbor's soul because they wouldn't let their neighbor go to church. Uh, that's, That's where we are. Talk about reversing first and second things. We've taught the people that are following us, the next generation of leaders, we've taught them that they're entitled to everything rather than obligated to give anything. I don't know if this is an accurate quote of Wilberforce or not, but it's been said that Wilberforce said this, if you love someone who's ruining his or her life because of faulty thinking, and you don't do anything about it because you are afraid of what others might think, it would seem that rather than being loving, you are in fact being heartless. So if, this, if, they, if we want to love people, you can't just let this go unchallenged. This fixation on faulty thinking, Wilberforce's language, that is on secondary things, uh, cries of microaggressions, trigger warnings. It, it, th- this runs from the debate rather than toward it. So it's the opposite of academic freedom. It brings exclusion rather than inclusion, segregation rather than integration, cries for comfort rather than accepting the challenges of confrontation. 
it, it's, it's a deficient worldview that'll never rectify itself. But it'll rather, it'll just grow like a cancer over time with each passing year. And the more the second things are highlighted, the less likely anyone will ever understand that they are not the first thing. And that's important. The more we highlight these second things, the, the more it's going to become true that everyone will miss the point that you're not the first thing. You aren't. There is no I in team. So instead of encouraging people to grow up and think and act and give like adults, our nation's brain trust now thinks it's a good idea to coddle them and to affirm them and enable them in their childishness. It's all, it's all a fixation on self. It's the perpetual selfie, which is the ultimate in faulty thinking, to use Wilberforce's words. Over the past 30 years or so of my career, uh, if I learned anything, it's that the academy, the ivory tower, was always focused on you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The fixation was on truth. The first thing was truth. The sumum bonum, the highest good, was truth. And it wasn't yourself. Because yes, there's a T in truth and there's a T in team. But there is no I in team. And we're going to fail as a culture, fail as a family, fail as a country, fail as a civilization if we continue to put the second thing of me and I above the team, the unity above the body of Christ. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.